0: You're listening to The Bunker, New York, live on Red Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker, New York, on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Katnick. And we're here in the studio in New York today with special guest Leisure Muffin, who has some live sets for us and is going to join us for an interview later on. And right now we're going to get into this live set with Leisure Muffin. you're listening to The Bunker, New York on Red Bull Radio.
1: Red
0: Bull Radio. Hello, you're listening to The Bunker, New York on Red Bull Radio. I'm your host, Brian Kasnick, and we're just coming out of this live set from Leisure Muffin recorded in January in New York at Elsewhere. Uh, and Muff is here to join us for an interview. Welcome to the studio. Hi. So uh, I'd almost forgotten that you were on the show. Yeah. Very yeah, early yeah. on. Yep. So we're catching, catching up for our listeners with
1: good memories uh i guess since then you've moved i have yep i uh, i moved to new orleans uh which i love it's beautiful great city does
0: it feel like uh i mean you've been through new york philadelphia came from new jersey yeah. does it feel like home you like it uh, feeling better there than in those places
1: i don't i mean i don't want to say feeling better because you know i love all the places that i lived um but you know i also lived in uh uh, in the Bay Area, in, in oh, Oakland. Oh, that's right, that's I right. Loved, and all of those places are kind of my home. Um, yeah. That's when you, you were a super healthy leisure muffin. Oh, yeah, the San, I really The was. San
0: Francisco version.
1: Yeah, it was, it was all the bike riding. It's pretty insane.
0: Bike riding and fresh produce. Oh, yeah. That makes you want to eat
1: vegetables. Yeah, yeah, it's true.
0: Um, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit, Go. I don't know if we did last time or not, but going back to your days of living in New York and what mm. that was like, because I think... well there's a lot of people that are new to New York that haven't been living here this long and I feel like there's already um, like the struggles of people who were there in the 90s and the O's even of course more struggles for people going back but I, I definitely feel like you were part of a wave of artists and especially electronic musicians who were living in Williamsburg for a long time and then were essentially chased out.
1: Yeah, yeah, more or less. Um I, I mean I I love New York and you know I first moved here in uh 95 or 96. Actually I lived in like the East Village on um East 11th between B and C. And like back then that was a cheap place to it live. It was cheap. Yeah, I think my rent was 450 a month. And um uh it was also like really sketchy yeah I mean I remember like doing my laundry on Avenue C and being like horrified being like oh I gotta do this like before it's dark because like it's sketchy
0: yeah I, re- I remember even when I was first with Ceza, which would have been around 2005 she lived on 7th and D and I went around the corner to the grocery store to buy some beers or something and saw a pregnant lady who was caught shoplifting knocked to the ground by a security guard without putting up much of a struggle yeah I was just like whoa yeah it's yeah it's uh pretty serious over here still yeah yeah it really was but these but days now, now you
1: get like you know you go for like your build your own um bloody mary brunch or whatever yeah so so there's that yeah i think it's it's quite so that's so maybe even then were you were you chased out of that neighborhood or not exactly i just i actually um i only lived there for maybe like a year before i moved back to jersey and started working at the the record exchange which is where you met me right uh and then when i moved back to new york in like 2000 or 2001 I remember it was not too long before um, 9-11 so it was around then but uh, that's that's when I moved back to like try to seriously I don't know as seriously as I could be an <laughs> electronic <laughs> musician yeah oh yeah you had a band I did have a band um, <laughs> uh, yes action daddy yes with my friend Sam Zimmerman who's still doing interesting stuff and um, that was actually fun it was fun yeah, that
0: was, I mean, that was a really fun era in Williamsburg. It's completely, completely different than it is now. And you, you hung on in Williamsburg for a while, though. Like I you, did. You, like me, who kept a cheap apartment in Williamsburg somehow until
1: 2015. I mean, you made it way longer than me. Yeah. But, you know, what? When, when I moved in, um, my block, there was nothing there. I, I mean, there was one little bar called the Sardine Can, and what their deal was, they didn't have a liquor license, but they could—they had like a wine license. Yeah. So they did like sake martinis or whatever. And um, I was DJing in there a little bit. Yeah, that's where I would come to see you DJ, and they would make the crepes. They did make crepes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the <laughs> okay, guy—the guy who was the owner—was in that band, Conk. Um, was that the band? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, they were really cool. Yeah, um, but that was the only thing there. There was no other restaurants. There was no. Bars, there's nothing. I mean, Taco taco Chulo eventually. That, no, that was a really late addition. There was that horrible thing on the corner. The Lodge was before that. And that was even like the first other restaurant was M. That was, but that wasn't on that block. It's like around the corner on Hefemeyer, which is still not there, but around the block M. And that's where you and I used to hang out. Oh my God. In those days. Yeah. When they
0: had the happy hour. Happy hour dumplings and well, half price
1: beers. You know, she let me DJ there too. I was DJing in the basement on Saturdays, Saturday nights in the basement, in exchange for um, staff meals. I could come in and eat a staff meal. At, like that's what like my payment was for for DJ. I
0: kind of can't blame you though because I eat in best. that
1: restaurant a lot, and whenever I'm ordering
0: food, and then the staff meal comes out, I'm like, what. Oh, yeah. What are they eating?
1: No, that's, that's not on the menu. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> they are really, those guys are really cool. Um.
0: Um, well, then switching back to New Orleans, how, mm. how is it going down there for you? I know we were talking about this earlier this week and you had yeah. some kind of unexpected, maybe not gigantic success, but you're actually, you had an opportunity that kind of led, has led you to other gigs down there, which you seemed unsure was going to happen.
1: At yeah, all. I, you know, it's New Orleans is a great town and it's definitely a great music town there's a lot of stuff going on but there isn't like a huge amount of uh electronic music like what I do there is electronic music there and there is dance music there um but it's not a huge audience um so I I wasn't really sure what I was gonna find down there and if people were gonna like me or whatever but um uh interestingly enough uh I have been playing a lot. I mean, not like, you know, (laughs) not like crazy shows where I'm making a ton of money or anything. I'm not. Uh, And there's not even like huge audiences, but like people seem to like me, seem to book me. And there's a really interesting um, phenomenon, which is that people don't get stuck in one thing there. Like people, like I play mostly with like noise artists, honestly, usually other people on the bill. And sometimes even with, like, a punk band, or like, and it doesn't seem like there's this line between those things there. It's just, like, kind of everybody doing stuff that's not in the mainstream and not, like, tourist music is like, okay, well, we're together and we're just gonna do this stuff. Um, And there's there's one venue I've been playing at every once in a while that I really love called uh, The Mudlark uh, Public Theater. And it's like a DIY space... lot of noise shows there, there's like plays there, there's it's it's just a really really cool venue. It's really DIY and everybody's like everybody seems to know each other and it's 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 very cool. Is it do you think maybe
0: it's because it's a smaller community because I feel like those lines between genres and scenes are being more blurred everywhere but even in a place like New York where there's so much going on that you could experience all those scenes it's easier for people to stay in a genre tunnel because there's so much in that genre tunnel going on. Whereas is it maybe that in down there that there's so kind of little weird music going on that you just,
1: everybody has to go to the same shows? I I think there's a lot of that. And also, you know, there's less population. And then, yeah, it's sort of like everybody that's doing something weird and off the beaten path is like, we're just going to be together no matter what it is, which is great. Yeah. Um, And, I, you know, I've also seen... The other thing I was really surprised about is there's a lot of, like, uh, kind of improv and free jazz stuff there that I didn't know was going to be there. I mean, obviously, it's New Orleans. You know there's going to be jazz there. But I didn't know there was going to be crazy, blistering free jazz. And there's tons of
0: it. Yeah, no, I would expect it to be more like... Touristy, yeah, say, yeah. Like, like tourist
1: jazz clubs, and, and that's which is nice, but not n- I'm not interested in that. <laughs> just to be clear. But there, there is a lot of that there, but um, there also is like there, I mean, there's a ton of really good musicians and there's people doing very weird stuff, and honestly, it almost reminds me of what like um, the Lower East Side was like back when I was first here, and like, I mean, there's like I don't know, do you murder going to like Vision Fest or whatever? Yeah. I'm like, wow, it's almost on that level of interest with the free jazz stuff.
0: Yeah. And we were talking about some of the early like Lower East Side and Williamsburg events we were going to in the 90s and early O's and how cool and relevant that sounds now. You maybe Do yeah. We were specifically talking about Unity Game, which is oh, yeah. some of the earliest sets I saw you play. So maybe, yeah, maybe as there seems to be this renewed interest in this kind of Concept from talking to people later. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about like what that oh. event was all about.
1: I mean, that was that was amazing, and yeah, I think I think that's really something that should be happening. So, so David Linton, who's doing that, who's an amazing guy and like so talented, and um, been doing this stuff forever. Anyway, his his idea for this was you would get like uh, I don't know, like eight to ten different people together, um, all with their own setup. Everybody would play like a 10 minute set and then, so basically one person would play a 10 minute set and then overlap for five minutes with the next person. Then that person would play for 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That was the whole thing was that you were forced to improvise with somebody. You, you may not have any idea what they even do. And you know, you're, you're the first time you're in the room with this person is, you know, while you're setting up an hour before the show or whatever, and you're like, uh, I don't know, um, do you want to share a clock? Do you have a way to share a clock? Or do you want to just yell out a BPM? And, or, like, or do you even, like some people weren't even doing music that a BPM even means something for, you know? So yeah. And the equipment,
0: is. this kind of leads into something else I want to talk about, is the, hmm. the equipment in those days was so different than now and i remember people bringing out not that people don't do this today but these gigantic setups and i remember i think maybe you and
1: david last both showed up with desktop computers is that right (laughs) was that you or was that well i did i had played with desktop (laughs) desktop computers before that the one i did that at though was the one that olive got me at den of thieves and i think i was like i know i wasn't 21 and like i like showed up with like my station wagon with full of i had like a theremin i had a desktop computer running you know motu performer like not even digital performer like performer like (laughs) just midi and like a rack with keyboards all the it was ridiculous and i showed up with all this stuff and i'm like carrying these cases up to the door and the guy at the door's like you're not 21 let me see your id I'm like i'm the place like what? like olive had to come out and like be like no he's coming in he's
0: gonna yeah i had yeah. similar experiences i got because i was i was not 21 when i first got to new york and was into that all those like all the weird parties were happening in bars then it was really weird music in the lower east yes, it was Village so cool in bars and i had to make sure that the promoter knew to give them the heads up or eventually yeah. those door people got to know because i i didn't drink at the time i was under 21 but i right. never drank so everybody's like he's He's not a liability at all. Like he yeah. doesn't even want to drink. Yeah, yeah. But that was that that struggle was real, and there was there was definitely no all of things back then. Right. So so now we're fast forwarding to like more than well maybe 20 years later. Yeah. How you've obviously made some serious changes to your setup. Like what what yeah. have you done, and how is it how is it more ideal? And I guess if you can maybe speak to a little bit of how like perhaps things have become more affordable or accessible for electronic musicians now?
1: Sure. I I mean, you know, um, in the nineties, uh, I, I was really, really interested in, uh, modular synthesis, but it was not something that any normal person could access. So the way I was getting access to them was, uh, you know, my friend Jordan went to Sarah Lawrence and I would go basically... Sneak into the electronic music studio with him. And we would do this thing where, uh, basically we'd go in towards the end of the day and hide in a closet until like when like the jan- janitorial staff would come to clean and like wait till they had cleaned and locked the doors and then come out and work all night in that studio and like right. jump out a window at like four in the morning. I mean, ground floor window, but climb out a window and be <laughs> right. like, all right. So, <clears throat> and you know, the other way I got access was once I met, uh, Charles, yeah. Charles Cohen, uh, he had a Buchla system. I'd go over to his place. But no regular human being at that time could afford to buy a modular system. And that's just always what I had wanted to do. And, you know, flash forward to now, anybody can buy a modular system. It's, you know, if, if you have, uh, you know, it's still, it's not like it's dirt cheap, but $5,000 will buy you what would have been a... You know, you know, fifty thousand dollars or uh, impossible to get system. I mean, right. my little suitcase that I bring does more than the entire Sarah Lawrence music studio did. And know? even if
0: you want, had the funds and wanted to buy all those machines, they were so rare that you probably
1: oh yeah couldn't. The, there was uh, there were a few companies that were making um, that were making things at the time. So you could have gone to, I guess, Surge. You could have gone to Rex Probe and gotten a system from him. But those were ridiculously expensive. You needed at least 10 grand. Um, There was, I think, the module of the month thing. But that was kits. You had to, like, you'd get a kit and now you have to build... I have some friends still doing that because they just love doing it. But, yeah. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot else. I mean, I can't remember when Dope first started. But, I mean, I think he really... Uh, you know, he's started that Euro rack format, and that's what really made it uh, affordable and has, you know, generated the explosion that we have now. But, but anyway, sorry, like to, to get back to like the spirit of the original question, it's, it is really interesting because, like, you know, when I started, I wanted to use modular, but it was impossible. There was no way to do it unless you, you know, got your hands on it some other way. So I was doing all of my stuff with, uh, well, first, a, like, a tower computer. Like, I had a, a Mac PPC clone. Like, there was this brief window of time where Mac Macs had clones. Right. And I had bought this beige clone tower Mac. And I was running uh, Mark of the Unicorn Performer to do MIDI sequencing. And then I had, like, you know, a handful of, you know, I had, like, an SH-101, a Roland SH-101. I had some keyboards, some effects, a little sampler. Like, yeah. I had this little sampler that took, like floppy disks like the three yeah what was the one you used yeah the, the is, yeah. was it an MPC that had, no 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 I did later? eventually get an MPC that replaced the computer eventually but no yeah, this I is remember the, that being the brain for a while it was the remix 16 and that thing was so ridiculous it just had like it had 16 buttons but you could only only eight samples could play at once Um I think four if they were stereo. I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> and then like you, you had like a little data wheel and a little crossfader. It was so silly. But I used that thing forever. You know why I stopped using it? Because it like got to the point where it would shock me through the front panel, and I was <laughs> like, oh, I guess I gotta. I guess I gotta stop using this. I'm like getting
0: shocked. Right. But. And you were saying on the way over here, which is something that I for as many electronic musicians as I know, I rarely hear where you were saying that you're completely happy with your setup now and you have oh my God, you have yeah. every you have everything you need and you try to not even
1: look at the gear coming out if you can I, I really do because I'm just gonna want to buy stuff. And I, I really don't need anything. I have literally everything that I could could possibly need. Um but actually to to get all right, so keep like kind of taking this like tangent off from the main thing which is (laughs) that it's a really interesting evolution because I started with the computer that I moved to the MPC that was my sequencer and brain for all the stuff and then you know then to laptop and then uh sort of like now I'm at this point where it's it's laptop and the small modular system but the laptop's not doing anything other than basically being a glorified looper and mixer. Right. But it's, it's great. You know, like I have, there's when I show up to the show, there's nothing pre-recorded in the laptop, but I have the ability to like grab, uh, streams of audio off the, the modular, have it be synced and play back and mix them really quickly, really easily without a whole lot of, uh, effort. And it's great. It's sort of just like, you know, um, it's it is it's composing in real time right
0: well how much of it you must have some idea or you're trying to like recreate moments or play a song
1: live in a sense or is it all well yeah i mean there are certain ideas or frameworks like i know like i'm almost always gonna start with like this sort of like uh you know i do that thing where it's it's kind of like a uh, frippertronics <laughs> yeah but with synthesizer And, uh, you know, so kind of these long extended, like, uh, whale sound solos or whatever. And then like, I I know I'm going to move into something rhythmic and then I know I'm going to like eventually have kicks and snares that I'm making. Like, but there's not really, there's not really a plan. And like, honestly, a lot of it is really, it's dependent on the room. It's dependent on how I feel. Um... I mean it is constrained and there there is only so much range I can get out of this instrument um, right but, but you you like it
0: this way going into a gig like most people seem terrified to do something like this where there's nothing pre-programmed and they like but you you seem to be one of the few people that actually really are trying to create exactly that situation with your yeah. setup
1: yeah, no I like it I, I mean if I'm not terrified I, I think there's something wrong. Um <laughs> but also like I, I I do really enjoy it like uh, and you know I think a lot of that comes from uh, having worked with with Charles uh, who I keep mentioning, but he um, he died last year. And he was a big influence on me and he he a thing that he told me that I really took to heart and I thought was really great was that um, or, Basically, the thing he would say all the time was, "Look, Muffin, I'll I'll play with anyone as long as I don't have to rehearse." Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. He would come. He would come play my party under city, and he would like, "Can you, Charles? Can't you just play for an hour or half an hour?" Like, "No, but I'll I'll improvise like nine sets with whoever's playing." Yeah, I'm like, "Yeah, but it's just it's a we're just ambient DJs." He's like, "Yeah, that's cool. Like, I'd I'd rather jam with an ambient DJ I don't know than yeah have to sit there and just do it." And yeah, I think you and Charles used to play together a lot and I'm pretty, And my memory's a little Hey, I know I booked you guys to play Upstairs at Tonic, and I know it was the first thing I ever booked at Tonic, but I can't remember if it was the first show I ever booked, like if I'd already been doing Undercity at that No, time. no, you had booked other stuff. Yeah, I'd been doing but Undercity. But I think we
1: were... I don't even know if we were the first Upstairs one or not.
0: You were. Really? And I don't, I don't quite remember how Melissa, who owned Tonic, allowed me to do that, <laughs> or it wasn't even something I... So, like, I remember being contacted and her asking me to book some midnight shows one month, and I don't... Right. Probably... Probably Olive, we're talking about DJ Olive, our friend who ran the agriculture and was in WTM. It's probably him yeah. telling her, like, you should let this kid do something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't even know if I was 21 then, probably. No, you definitely were Yeah. I <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you had the Bunker compilation that came out in February. You had an original production on there, and that's been your your first released one in a while. Since the first, yes. the first Bunker yeah. release, BK-001, which was four years
1: ago yeah I mean think about this I've been I've been making electronic music for 20 years at least right and what is that my fourth fourth studio piece tra- yeah really <laughs> your fourth
0: track that you officially released yeah. well, why like maybe why is that I just I
1: hate doing it like I hate it. Uh, it it's I mean I'm like imagining an audience rather than like oh here's the audience and then I have to sort of There's this thing of when you're doing something um, outside of the moment, you just keep getting caught in these thoughts of like, oh, well, I can do this. I could do, I could, all these things to try to make the thing perfect, right? Right. Which you're never gonna do. Um, But it, it just, it's for me in the way I think, it's really, really hard and really, really counter to how I work. So I kind of have to force myself You know, I have to choke it down to do these things and I I kind of have to force myself to be like, all right, well, just try to do it as much as you play live as possible. And then, you know, I I don't know. But you do obviously understand that
0: probably... Statistically, the more music you put out, the better <laughs> chance you have of playing live, which is what you want to do. Sure. Yeah,
1: exactly. But, you know, the the funny paradox here is that, like, I'm not actually good at anything except for playing live. So, like, I don't even, like, you know, I, I don't really do any promotion. I don't. I don't, like, I don't even, you know, if you listening to the set, this is one of the only places you're going to hear one of these sets, unless you come see them. Right. Because I don't really even put my live sets on the internet i don't do it and i don't know why (laughs) (laughs) okay well speaking of live sets let's let's talk just
0: briefly about the the second set we're gonna play here which was recorded at jupiter disco in january with another uh label artist from the bunker new york abby ekvary and just maybe we'll let people hear the set and yeah judge for themselves but just maybe a few words on why like how this collaboration came about
1: cool yeah um well you know it kind of just was uh very spontaneous um so abby had uh sent me the tracks that she was giving you for the bunker to like listen to and i was like oh my god it's really good it's like in my opinion some of the best electronic music i've heard in a long time i really i really like it and it's kind of like exactly the kind of stuff that i've been doing and i just shot her an email being like well, look do you want to like play this thing <laughs> and she was like yeah so great
0: yeah because it's, um, it's a pretty relatively low key gig it's our friend clay wilson certain creatures sunday night event in a bar with a nice sound yeah. system so yeah it's good good situation to try out something new and as you were saying you don't like doing these things into a vacuum so why not do it yeah a live audience of a dozen
1: of our friends. Yes, or whatever. exactly. Uh, look, uh, you know, a dozen people is fine with me. I don't care. Yeah, it's just like it yeah. To no one, I don't understand. It's hard for me. Yeah, I
0: have I have similar struggles recording, getting motivated to record podcasts mm-hmm. at home. I mean, we, you and I, made this mix for the bunker compilation yeah. together, which was kind of a different process yeah. and more enjoyable for me in a way because we were really did it methodically in Ableton versus getting up on my cdjs at home and trying to right like play a set which live, would have been somehow that somehow translates to people listening and nitpicking at home which i think actually happens a lot more than at an actual event which is right. maybe another reason not to release all your live sets on right, right soundcloud right. because then <laughs> then you have to live with everybody like listening over and over and being able to Sure. Pick it apart sure anyways well thanks a lot for joining us here yeah. today and we're going to get into this second live set which again is a recording of Leisure Muffin collaborating with Abby Ekaveri who has an EP coming on The Bunker in June hopefully we have an EP later this year from Leisure Muffin <laughs> yeah I hope so too to be determined <laughs> um, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio you're
1: listening to Red Bull Radio
0: You're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio. We're coming to a close in a few minutes here. We've been listening to, and we'll continue to listen to the end of this live set from Leisure Muffin and Avi Ekaveri. Join us again in two weeks. Again, you're listening to The Bunker New York on Red Bull Radio.